0: Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Hey, everybody. My name is Eric Squizinski. I'm the host of the Preacher Boys podcast. And on the show, while I do talk about physical and sexual abuse, I also talk about mental and spiritual abuse that happens within independent fundamental Baptist churches. But as always, what I'm about to go into today can apply to any organization, religious or not. I want to talk a little bit about unhealthy relationships and how to determine if you are in a healthy relationship or an unhealthy relationship. I'm not speaking strictly romantically. I do want to dive into the relationship you can have with clergy, with other members of your congregation, with coworkers, et cetera. Now, one person who I think has really done a good job defining healthy versus unhealthy organizations, information,s. uh Influences, etc., is Stephen Hassan. Stephen Hassan is the cult expert. He wrote the book "Combating Cult Mind Control." He runs the organization Freedom of the Mind. Which, if you haven't already, go to Freedom of the Mind, or sorry, FreedomofMind.com. Uh, And if you want to go to the particular section I'm going to be talking about today, go to freedomofmind.com slash bite, B-I-T-E dash model, M-O-D-E-L. That's freedomofmind.com slash bite dash model. And you can see for yourself what I'm about to go over. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know who uh, Stephen Hassan is, uh, he used to be a part of the Mooney cult. And he has since left, obviously, and has helped really... Uh, After a lot of research, really helped craft out some great resources, including the book Combating Cult Mind Control, to help people out of cultic situations or cultish situations. In the bite model, he covers behavior control, information control, thought control, and emotional control. All of these are very helpful and definitely encourage you to read it and just examine some of the things around you to see if you're in any of these situations. But I want to focus specifically on emotional control. I received a pretty troubling email recently from someone who has basically had a very close friend within the independent Baptist movement, cut ties with them over a secondary doctrinal issue. And this is someone who was expressing a ton of care, a ton of love, and really just showing a lot of interest in this person's life until they had a disagreement over this one thing. Now there's been a cutoff in communication, texts not being responded to, calls that were made almost daily have been cut off. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about this because one of the things that is a telltale sign of being part of a cultish and a negative uh, mind control group is emotional control. And it is doing things that make love conditional. Uh, a, a huge telltale sign of any unhealthy healthy relationship is when love is extremely conditional. So I want to go through some of the elements of emotional control that are listed in the bite model. Again, this is just a barely scratching the surface of everything that uh, Stephen Hassan has put together. But I really think it's important. I think it might be helpful for you. Here are some things to look for when it comes to emotional control. There's eight points here and I'll try to work through them pretty quickly. Number one is to manipulate and narrow the range of feelings, some emotions and needs that are deemed as evil, wrong and selfish. Number two, teach emotion-stopping techniques to block feelings of homesickness, anger, and doubt. I see this in a lot of churches specifically, and and these two kind of go hand in hand, but I see a lot of times where, you know, when you start feeling depressed, uh, you'll see a lot of pastors that'll make statements like, well, you know, you just need to, you just need to pray about it or uh, stop relying on, you know, medication, stop relying on this. Uh, You need to stop feeling those emotions. If you're strong enough as a believer It's not going to bother you. And that's a very dangerous place to be. When you equivocate uh, righteousness with the idea of not feeling any kind of depression, uh, feeling any sadness, feeling any kind of anger, uh, you're really isolating the person and forcing them to work against the natural physiology of their body and their mind. Uh, Number three, make the person feel that problems are always their own fault. Never the leader's or the group's fault. Uh, This is something specifically, uh, I don't know if they'd like me sharing their name, but someone that I know very closely and love dearly, uh, one time expressed to one of the leaders in the church that I used to attend uh, back when I was a teenager, they expressed that they didn't want to go to a revival service because uh, they felt like they didn't really get anything out of the preaching from those types of services, from the uh, guest speakers that were coming, and Uh, You know, the, the youth pastor there just specifically laid out, well, the Bible says that it's never wasted when the word of God is preached, it'll never return void and quoted that verse in response, basically saying, if you're not getting anything from the service, that's on you. That's a hard issue that you have to address. And so again, that's a sign of a very negative relationship when you're making the person feel that the problems that they're expressing to you openly are a reflection of a problem with them. Now, of course, sometimes people do have issues that need to be addressed internally, but when it's every single issue that you have come up gets turned and made something that you need to deal with, or that is your fault and not the, the fault of maybe a leader not being a good expositor, or maybe the curriculum not being easy to understand, that's a problem. Number four, promote feelings of guilt or unworthiness, such as identity guilt, uh, not living up to your potential. Uh, I talk about this often with guests where people uh, spiritual leaders will move the goalposts of holiness. So when you do reach some level on the mountain, they move the goalposts and say, oh, you're not quite there yet. You need to do this or add this ministry or do a little bit more here. Uh, Your family's deficient. Uh, How many times do you see families get told, oh, because you're part of a broken home, you know, um, or because of, you know, one of your, you know, your spouse isn't saved, um, you're lesser or, or things like that. Uh, your family's deficient. Your past is suspect. Uh, you know, not letting the past go like your affiliations are unwise. I heard this often, you know, uh, uh, you know, not to surround yourself with people, uh, in the IFB movement, the independent fundamental Baptist movement, they actually teach the Uh, different layers of separation, different degrees of separation. So you're supposed to separate not only from people who are harmful, but from people who affiliate with people who are harmful and from people who affiliate with people who might be harmful and to, you know, and you start really cutting out anybody who's not the organization itself.
1: The Korean people are devout Baptists to this day. They have been persecuted with the Myanmar government. They've gone into exile. They've gone over into Thailand trying to get away from the Burmese government. One group had heard of their plight, the refugees, and they went in to help donate food, clothing, money, whatever they needed. Their leader said, who are you? Well, there were some assembly of God outfit, and he said, let me ask you about your Bible. Let me ask you about your doctrine. And when they didn't line up with the Bible and doctrine he believed in, taught, he refused their money and their donations. They said, but your people are starving. He said, rather starve a Baptist than die a compromiser.
0: And again, cutting off all of those other access points to your life is another sure sign that you're inside a cultish environment. Uh, next, your thoughts, feelings, actions are irrelevant or selfish. The idea that you can't make it to a service because you have to go to a child's baseball game. The idea that you can't serve in a ministry because you're exhausted from working a job at the night shift. It's, it's always something that's inconveniencing the ministry and you need to adjust your life to better serve it. I
2: had two young evangelists not all that long ago approach me separately, Brother Perkins. And these two young evangelists asked neither knowing what the other had asked. Dr. Hamlin, how do you have a full calendar? And how do you preach everywhere? Uh, and how do you get books published? And uh, how, how do you get to be a, a voice in our fundamental movement? Uh, how do you get to do that? Uh, and, I, and I simply said, because they had asked me, they said, now, I want that full calendar and I want those books published, and uh, I want to be a voice in the fundamental movement, uh, but, but I, I want to go to every piano recital, and I want to go to every baseball game and basketball game and uh, hockey game, and, and I don't want to miss any birthdays, and don't want to miss any anniversaries, and, and how, can I, how can I have a full calendar uh, like you have and still do all those other things? I simply said, you can't. Because there has to be in every man of God's ministry something he sacrifices that no one knows anything about. It is too sacred. It is too special to mention. There has to be that sacrifice of something to be used of God. Both of those young men Dr. Thayer, both of them are not on the revival road tonight. I'm a little bit weary with this attitude that we serve God with our spare time. That we serve God with our pocket change. And if I can just go ahead Uh, and be pointed uh lester roloff who preached in this building uh once said uh preachers need to preach porcupine sermons so the people get the point if i can be pointed the reason that that attitude has crept in uh, to the pew is because uh, it has crept into the pulpit
0: next social guilt uh if you're small group, or if your Sunday school class is putting that guilt on you. And then there's historical guilt, taking things that you've maybe done or, or times that you've messed up in the past and using that again to, uh, to beat you over the head with it. I, I think of a very famous sermon clip of a pastor saying, do you remember when you came here with your wife and the way things were and the way we made holy war on it with each other. And he really threw that back in the face of that congregant. You remember
1: when I came here, Kelly, you remember, where your wife was, where your sisters were? Do you remember where they were? And we made holy war. Do you remember that? Stay with me. Don't quit me. Oh, Brandy. Oh, Brandy's a sweet girl and she's got her children. Yes, y'all are good and y'all are fine, but your children will turn on you if you don't hold up the standard and the banner of God. And if they don't turn on you, you'll just produce nice little Whirlians.
0: Next is to instill fear, such as fear of thinking independently. I remember very clearly being at a conference and sitting there as they laid out very specifically why we should not watch a documentary about our own movement, because they said it's an attack from Satan. You don't need to watch it. It's filled with lies trying to hurt the church. So instead of letting us watch it and come to our own conclusion based on the facts laid out, we were told not to think about it, not to address it, and just sit under the preaching of that organization next the outside world uh this is one of the biggest things in independent baptist churches that is hit on over and over again fear the world stay away from the world separate yourself from the world
3: i watched some of my church members on the parade route they're sitting on the side and the way they were dressed i couldn't tell there's no way anybody would have known they were church members here You say, well, that's not important. If they can't tell you're a church member here, they dead sure can't tell you're a Christian there. Amen. One good sign that you're a Christian is you don't dress like the world, you don't talk like the world, you don't walk like the world, you don't act like the world, you don't listen to the world's kind of music. That's a good, that pretty much sticks out. Doesn't it? I guarantee you, it's harder for them to tell that you're different if you're dressed just like them. If you got the same dress standards, 30 years ago, the men of the church would have been standing up, raising their Bible, saying, glory to God. we got a preacher of the word of God. He's willing to take a stand against the sin of this world. And today I sit in the church that I pastor, and I'm looking at people under conviction because they know they've gotten to a place in their life where they say, that's enough. That's not loving. That's not kind. And I'm here to tell you, friend, that is a lie. That is not true.
0: Stay away from the world's medicine, the world's science, the world's uh, doctors, the world's politicians. Stay away from the world. Stay within the church. Uh, The enemies, uh, they're going to take our Christian school away from us. They're going to take our church from us. They're going to take away our tax exempt status. Losing one's salvation. um, If you don't fulfill all the roles that we think you should fulfill, it's a sign that you're not even one of us, you're not even a Christian. Leaving or being shunned by the group, that's what's happening to the person who sent this email, uh, this feeling of isolation and that you turned your back on the church. Um, I recently had my youth pastor's wife reach out for the first time in eight years, uh, eight years, just to tell me that I was bitter. Uh, this was someone who the family I was very close to, there was like a second set of parents for me. And when I started making moves that were against their will, I was completely cut off. Others' oh, disapproval, historical guilt. We got into that a little bit. Number six is extremes of emotional highs and lows, love bombing and praise one moment and then declaring you're a horrible sinner. Now, while there are, again, some things that may need to be addressed once in a while, uh, it's when you get to the situations where the pastor will shake your hand and say something nice to you and get in the pulpit and then speak directly to you or start going on a rampage about you specifically. Uh, again, going back to that one very famous sermon clip, you see that happen where A guy literally gets his face ripped off and then the pastor goes up and says, give me a hug, you know, and tries to flip it that way.
1: And where have you been, Mr. Underwood? And I noticed on the calendar I'm supposed to marry y'all. What makes you think I'd marry you? You're one of the sorriest church members I have. You're not worth 15 cents. And you want me to marry you to her? And you want to marry him, and he don't even know where he belongs, and you don't even know where you belong. Now, uh, let me tell you all everybody here how much I love these kids. Do you know I love you, sir? Stand up, big boy. Do you know I love you? Mm-hmm. All right. All right, give me a little love. I'm a real deal. Yeah. All right, I know you are too, but you ain't been here. You can't get this in any other church in town.
0: Uh, Number seven, ritualistic and sometimes public confession of sins. Again, there is a time and a place to let the congregation know about something that you've done that is affecting the body. But I think you need to really be careful about churches where you're forced to talk about uh, every single thing that you have wrong and you're forced to always uh, tear yourself down publicly in front of others. Next is phobia, indoctrination, pretty irrational fears about leaving the group or question leaders authority. Uh, that you'll not be happy or fulfilled outside of the group. This was a huge one uh, that people outside of my movement didn't have any true joy, that people who were in contemporary churches uh, didn't have any joy. Terrible consequences if you leave, uh, demon possession, incurable diseases, accidents, suicide, insanity, uh, 10,000 reincarnations, etc. cetera. Uh, shunning of those who leave, fear of being rejected by friends and family. Never a legitimate reason to leave. Those who are weak are those who leave are weak or undisciplined. They weren't strong enough to stand in the gap. Uh, unspiritual, worldly, brainwashed by family or counselor, were uh, seduced by money, sex, or rock and roll. And then threats of harm to an ex member and family, which is, of course, a very extreme thing, but something that's not rare uh, within certain cult groups. Not so much within the IFB, but within other cultish groups. But um, yeah, I just wanted to read through these and I just want to let you know, like, I really hope you'll go to freedomofmind.com slash bite, B-I-T-E model, and really read through all these because upon examination of certain relationships that you may think are healthy, you might start noticing some of these trends. And I want you to really, as we do this show, as we start kind of examining some things under this lens, I really hope that you'll start identifying some of the more toxic or harmful uh, attributes of some of the organizations and people and leaders you might be affiliating with. Thank you guys so much for watching that. Again, check out freedomofmind.com bite dash model, or check out Combating Cult Mind Control. It's an incredible book. I have a link to it in the description of this video where it dives a lot more in depth to the thought processes behind this. Thanks so much for watching. My name is Eric Skorzynski, and this is Preacher Boys.